Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Quick note before we begin, the Finding Genius Foundation, as part of the Finding Genius Podcast, has recently completed a book about understanding viruses. So the creation of this book was to interview 100 virologists, ask them a lot of deep, difficult questions, take the most difficult questions, and then re-interview the top 25 or so and ask them the hardest questions I could think of. And we compiled that all into a book. So you'll see question and four or five experts' answers. Question, four or five experts' answers. There's about 30 questions in the book. I think it's a great read for the layperson and for the researcher. It talks about a lot of speculation in the world of viruses, such as are they alive or not, and why is it important? Uh, why do viruses go latent or hidden or ineffective or sit in a person or an animal or another creature for weeks, months, years? and then suddenly become virulent and affect that person. Uh, so there's a lot of really provocative questions in the book. It's now on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and type in Finding Genius, you'll see the book on viruses. It's also on Kindle. The Audible version is in production and should be ready in approximately a month. But if you want to go and order it now, uh, you can do so again by going to Amazon or Kindle or go, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org and go to Publications. There's an opportunity as well to get the transcripts of all the interviews and to hear the original interviews themselves. If we put them all together, the book would be about a thousand pages, but we condensed them down to make it juicy and concise and tight and very interesting. So I hope you'll check out the book. Uh, we're now working on one about cancer, but this is going to be our goal is uh, three times a year to come out with these masterclass books that I think will inspire new scientific research. And I hope you'll check it out. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius podcast part of the Finding Genius Foundation. And we're going to talk about uh, potentially reversing aging and treating disease. So thanks for coming. My pleasure. Yeah, tell me a bit about your research. Those listening, we've been interested in the biology of aging for a long time and really the question of why we age and how we age. And most relevantly, um, is there anything we can do about it? So we've studied aging in the sense of how tissues repair themselves well when we're young and less well when we're old. So a young person gets a skin wound and they heal very quickly and very efficiently, whereas an older person, they heal less quickly and often with scarring. And that's really true across tissues throughout the body. So we've been interested in trying to understand what that is and whether we can develop therapeutics that would help older people heal their wounds more quickly than they do and restore their tissues to better health. So what we've found along the way, interestingly, is that this aspect of aging is changeable, meaning it actually can be restored towards a more youthful state in something we we call rejuvenation. Uh, but we, we've been very interested in finding the biologic basis of that rejuvenation potential. Um, and most of our studies have been done in mice. The development of therapeutics that might actually restore youthfulness to old tissues. So what are some of the differences in young and old tissue and why do they heal differently? So as we look at this, you know, one of our questions um, was this, was if you try to understand how a tissue repairs itself, 
again, whether it's skin or muscle or, or an internal organ, it's often done by the stem cells in those tissues that when there's an injury, those stem cells, they, they wake up, they start dividing and they repair the tissue. Uh, initially, we wondered whether the organs and, and tissues actually just deplete themselves of stem cells as we get older. And that's not the case. So it turns out that for the most part, most tissues re- retain a lot of these repairing cells, even as we get older. However, they lose functionality. They become, they become less effective. So we, we've really tried to understand what it is that leads to this decline in function of stem cells as we get older. And one of the very interesting aspects of the work from the laboratory suggested actually that there are factors in the blood that are contributing to this. Meaning if you uh, look at the blood of a young mouse or old mouse or a young human, an old human, they differ in terms of what's in the blood. And interestingly, some of the factors in young blood seem to restore youthful potential to old cells and tissues and factors that are present in old blood seem to impair the function of those same stem cells. So there sort of appears to be this sort of dual nature of very potent kind of rejuvenating factors in young blood and suppressive or inhibitory factors in old blood. Well, if you back it up from there, wouldn't you then look to the bone marrow to see, and maybe also the spleen, let's say in people that would suck up old blood cells and, uh, you know, look at both the generation and the disposal of them and see what's different. I mean, so that, that's an interesting idea. And there, there, there is some uh, research that, that we and others have done looking at the, the cells in the blood that come from the bone marrow. But probably more of our focus has not been on the cells that are in the blood, but rather the proteins that are in the blood. And the proteins in the blood don't come from bone marrow necessarily. Uh, many of them come from liver and other tissues. In fact, we don't know where they all come from. But uh, the bone marrow is really the source of cells. But um, if you take away the cells from the blood of young or old animals, you still have these both rejuvenating and inhibitory activities. So we think that a lot of this bloodborne activity comes from other other organs and tissues in the body. So what are some of these proteins that are different in, again, young versus old blood, and what are their functions? We and others have looked at this extensively. There are, there are you know, just innumerable changes that occur. It's not as if new proteins arise necessarily or, or, or appear or disappear as much as the, the levels change over, over time. And if you look at you know, really a whole slew of proteins in the blood, many, many of them change with age. And again, many laboratories have looked at individual proteins. Some of the kind of rejuvenating factors tend to be what are called growth factors, not surprisingly. They're present in young animals during periods of, of extensive growth, childhood and adolescence. In the old blood, what you see is an increase in proteins that are considered sort of inflammatory. Again, not surprising. That's we see a lot of inflammation in tissues throughout the body with age. And some of these inflammatory proteins or cytokines um, have suppressive activity. So almost certainly there's not going to be one or a few proteins that account for this really remarkable activity. Rather, it's likely that um, this is really a complex biology of aging involving many proteins and many activities. Well, what's your model? Is it a mouse model or what are you using to, uh, to look at this? We, we use primarily a mouse model. We also look at, at human cells, but obviously we don't study this kind of tissue repair in humans themselves. But we, we use mouse models of tissue function and tissue repair um, to look at this. We've looked at skeletal muscle has been our primary tissue that we look at, but we've looked at liver, we've looked at brain, we've looked at bone marrow. 
We've looked at skin. Uh, so we've used a lot of different tissues in the mouse to investigate this you know, interesting biology of, of age-related decline in tissue regeneration and then restoration of uh, youthful functions in, in the older animals. Well, how long does a mouse live in the lab? Typically three years or just a year? And have you yeah, done was, longitudinal looks where you sample, let's say, the blood, I don't know, every month for the entire lifetime of a mouse and see the change? You know, mostly we don't do it longitudinally. Like you say, mostly we, we just take, you know, these mice are genetically very, very, very similar. So we take mice of different ages as if they're the same mouse aging. So we take mice of uh, young age, you know, four months of age, um, which is kind of a young adult equivalent in a human, up to, say, 24 months of age, which is probably equivalent, say, to a 70-year-old human. In the laboratory, mice can live up to three years or even longer. Uh, but that's, that's getting up towards sort of, you know, 90, 100-year-old human equivalents. But we can, we can look at blood from, you know, kind of any age across that spectrum and, and try and get profiles of what's in the blood, how it changes, and how it changes in response to the kinds of interventions that we look at that might be uh, restorative for, for youthfulness. So what have you found? What's, what sticks out at you? What jumps out at you? I mean, I, th- I think the thing that sticks out, number one, probably most importantly, is, is, is what I mentioned, is that, is that this is a process that's malleable. You know, I think the, the world has often thought of aging as a kind of unidirectional, unchanging, and something that for which is really there's no there's no hope of, of slowing or reversing. But I think you know the work from from various labs has shown malleability in terms of uh, the the pace of aging and even the directionality of aging. You know, this idea that it can actually be reversed at least to some extent and for you know for some period of time. Before we continue. I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. So that's, that's one thing. Um, I guess the other thing is that is that this notion that there are so-called systemic factors, meaning, meaning carried throughout the blood, that mediate this. I think that, you know, that was not assumed to be the case. And most studies of aging up till you know, recently have looked at what changes inside a cell. You know, are there, is there damage to the DNA inside the cell? Are there proteins inside the cell that accumulate and aggregate and cause problems? And I think a lot of the work that we and others have done have pointed really to this idea that cells respond to their environment, meaning the, the, the fluids around them, the the factors around them that can be transmitted from one organ to another and that may in large part at least drive the pace of this kind of cellular and tissue aging. So any specifics you can point out? Any particular proteins, any particular mechanisms that seem to be inhibited or slowed as the creature ages? So again, there have been lots of proteins that have been looked at and um, you know, I, I would put them more into kind of categories as opposed to focusing on individual proteins that are, that have been um, identified that might be partially responsible for this. I think, I think one of the interesting things that, that has come out of this research is the idea that 
um, a lot of the, the changes that occur in the cell that account for these aging effects and that account for even the rejuvenating effects are mediated by the structure of the DNA, so-called chromatin. And uh, basically, it just changes the way the DNA is read inside a cell. In, in some part, as we get older, DNA is read in a way that promotes the, the decline in function. And if we can reprogram the reading of that DNA, and that's what we think we're doing, um, we can basically reprogram the cell to be a younger cell. What's the protocol that you imagine? I don't understand. Like, are you going to foster the creation of proteins that are no longer there? I mean, what, what's your plan? Okay. So, 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 so for example, once we have an idea on how this change occurs, going from a young cell to an old cell, old cell to a young cell, what are essentially drugs or prodrugs? So li- literally small molecules that could be converted into, into pills, into drugs we take and, and ask the question, which of these drugs mimic this effect and actually have this effect on either promoting aging or promoting rejuvenation. So this could be this could be viewed as a drug discovery platform where we would end up with small molecules that turn into drugs that people would take as a way of slowing or preventing the aging process. In the same way, other than drugs, we can look at libraries of proteins, you know, basically all the proteins that are secreted into the blood, screen them and ask which ones of these proteins can be shown to have this effect of promoting youthfulness in cells and tissues, in which case, if it's a protein that could also be converted into a therapy, you know, just in the same way insulin is a protein that is administered to people, conceivably one could develop a therapeutics with, with a so-called biologic you know, protein that could be used in this kind of therapeutic approach. But if you don't understand why there's the appearance or dis- diminishment of these various proteins and everything, then how are you supposed to pick a drug that would be effective? You're just yeah. trying to replace random proteins and see which one well, works. So, like, what would be your heuristic for figuring this out? Yeah, so it's, it starts off as a so-called a screening platform. So we have we have a platform where we can screen, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of small molecules, and we identify those that appear to have an activity in promoting youthfulness of cells, and then we test them in mice. You know, we basically say if we give if we give these drugs to mice that are aging rapidly what effect does it have? Or if we give the drugs to mice that are likely to develop an age-related disease, we can ask, does it delay, slow, prevent, or even reverse that? So, you know, it's really a two-step process is identifying uh, through a kind of high throughput way, either molecules, small molecules, or proteins, and then testing them directly in mice. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. In terms of these kind of aging paradigms and from then that goes naturally into into a clinical trial in humans so what are you hoping that the drug will suppress a certain protein or foster the production of another what is the mechanism of action of the drugs that you you hope to use well i mean the the, the way it would work is we would find the drug and, and then discern the mechanism of action so so for example um you know we we, we find a drug and we, we find that it inhibits an enzyme that modifies the uh the the structure of dna know either the 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 stability or the the arrangement so once we find the drug and and then identify the mechanism then we have a you know a much stronger case for going to the food and drug administration saying we have a drug it does this and when we give it to mice it has this benefit in terms of their health preventing a disease treating a disease but if you don't know the mechanism of action how are you supposed to uh, figure out what kind of a 
a molecule will be useful or where or when or ah, what okay. quantities. Well, I mean, so, so, you know, there are many ways to do drug discovery. So one way, which is what your question implies, is you know that this is an important enzyme and you want to inhibit it. So you find drugs that inhibit the enzyme. You know, we're, we're taking a completely different approach and, and we're not the only ones to do this. Uh, what is called phenotypic screening. So the, the meaning we, we, we don't know the mechanism, but we know the outcome. The outcome is we take an old cell and we want to make it younger. And we know how to do that. We know how to look for what an old cell is and what a young cell is. Now, the mechanisms may be multiple. There may be many drugs that do this in different ways. So then the challenge is you find the drug that, quote, works already. Sometimes you can infer the mechanism by the structure of the drug, and sometimes you have to work out the mechanism from scratch. But either way, you go from the effect, which is what we're really concerned about, what we're really interested in, to the mechanism. Very different approach in saying, you know, we want to inhibit this, you know, this protein that's known to be involved in cancer. We're going to find a drug that, that... interferes with it. Ours is phenotypically driven. We want to find the drugs that we already know have this rejuvenating effects and then um, explore it mechanistically. Well, how would you know that they have rejuvenating effects? I mean, that, how would you know the, what to give to a mouse to, to have it rejuvenate them? How could you know that beforehand before you know? So, so, so our, the platform that we use is this. So we take, we take cells from different ages, let's say of mice. And we, we characterize the cells um, using machine learning as being young, middle-aged, elderly. We can do every age in between. Then we take the old cells and we treat them with a library of drugs. And we ask, which drugs make these cells look like young cells? So that's, that's the phenotype. The phenotype is you take an old cell, even if you don't know how the, the drugs work, you treat them with you know, hundreds of thousands of compounds. And you say, which ones make the cells look younger? Once you have that, you already have a clue that you're onto the right biology. Then you take those ones that work in that platform and you treat mice with, you know, either normal aging or accelerated aging or age-related diseases to ask, does this also work in an animal in the same way it works on these cells in culture? So what, what does the characterization of young versus old cells look like? Like what's the difference that's been observed? That's where the machine learning comes in. It's really using again, it's a little bit of a black box. So we take cells, we know what age they're from. We image them with a microscope. We feed those images into the computer and we we tell the computer to learn these are young cells, these are old cells because we know what what age they came from. So the computer learns to recognize cellular age, even if we are not 100% sure of what the, um, the image analysis is focusing on we're beginning to deconvolute that to try and understand what that is. But this can be done from a pure machine learning perspective. So you can say, you know, you you train the computer with, with, with millions, if not billions of images, and it gets very, very good at saying what age a cell is just by, just by learning by, um, by these training sets. So even if we don't know if the computer is analyzing, you know, the cell membrane and, or the, or the DNA structure, or protein accumulations, or mitochondria. It could be all kinds of aspects of the cell that distinguish old from young, but that's where the, the platform has great potential in terms of being generalizable and not being specific to one specific pathway. I see what you mean. So you can feed in all the data and the computer looks for the, uh, the correlations. Exactly. And so then, you know, then we have this, you know, this algorithm basically where we can say um, we take cells of any age, we treat them, and we ask, do they make it 
you know, does it make them younger or older with any particular drug? Um, and we can iterate that until we get better and better and better drugs that are producing, you know, increasingly um, potent rejuvenation. And those are the ones that we would consider, you know, hits that we would take and then test in mice. I mean, so far, have you been able to run your machine learning models or are you not at that stage yet? No, we're, we're well past that. So we've done that. Okay. We, we, we screened tens of thousands of, of, of small molecules already. We have dozens that we're testing in mice at this point. Uh, so we, we're very, and we're seeing very interesting results in the mice. So, so uh, we're, we're very confident of the, uh, the accuracy of our, our platform. And we are becoming increasingly excited about the ability of take, taking that from, you know, from the platform into, into animal models. So what can you say about what's been observed so far? That's not proprietary. Other than what I've told you is that we found, we found lots of hits. I can't tell you what they are or, or what pathways we think they work on or we know they work on. Um, other than we're seeing, you know, very, very encouraging results in terms of seeing changes in mouse aging as we look at these uh, compounds treated, you know, tested individually in, in mice. So you're given these drugs and you are seeing a reversal of the aging. Is it dramatic? Is it a little bit like, you know, in terms of effects, what are you seeing so far? So, so far, um, we've actually looked at, I would say we've looked more at the delaying of aging. We have not specifically at this point looked for a reversal. It could be, we just, we just haven't analyzed it at that level. Um, and I would say the effects in different tissues are quite striking. Um, and it's interesting because some of the different molecules that we test work better in, you know, in, 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 in bone, others work better in, in kidney. So, so I think there, there may be um, some distinctive pathways of aging that are going to be elucidated in this, um, in, you know, in this, in this protocol. When you administer the drugs, does it affect all the mice tissues? Does the entire mouse become younger or is it just the blood or is it just certain tissues that are affected and the other ones don't change? So, so, you know, when we, when we started, we, we didn't know what the answer to that would be. But as it, as it has turned out, at least to the extent we've done this, we have seen that different drugs have different effects in different tissues. So at least to the extent we've, we've studied this, we've not seen one drug that affects all the tissues equally. Um, and that may be, again, because of the particular mechanisms of one drug versus another, it may be that, you know, one tissue is particularly susceptible to, to modification of this pathway, whereas another tissue um, is susceptible to modification of another pathway. So at least as of now, I would say we're, we're likely to find kind of categories of drugs that affect specific tissues um, and, and not all tissues at once. But again, once one tissue is rejuvenated, which one have you been able to rejuvenate pretty reliably? And does it spread to other tissues or it just stays in that tissue, i.e. does the mouse have young blood, but an old liver, an old pancreas, does it all stay the same? So, so again, we haven't, we haven't really been able to analyze it that detail because what we've looked at is we do look at, at basically all the tissues in every mouse. And, but so far, we've looked at kind of one time point. So we give the drug for a period of time. We look after that. Um, and so what we need to do now is, is do that kind of more detailed analysis, treating mice for different periods of time and asking if one tissue is improved, after a period of time, does that then lead to other tissues being improved at later time points? So, so we don't have that data yet, but that, that would be the kind of question we would want to ask is, you know, if, if there is a rejuvenation, is it something that is contained within a tissue or is that improvement spread, basically spread throughout the body in the same way through the blood? Well, you could probably look once, you know, X period of time after you administer a drug and at various tissues, not just one, and be able to see, right? 
No, we, we look at all the tissues in every mouse. And, and again, at, at, that, at that one time point, we can say some tissues we haven't noticed a dramatic effect, whereas other tissues we have noticed a significant effect. Now, well, what are you using to tell you that the tissues rejuvenated, the machine learning or your eyes and observations? of the yeah, no, that, that, This is all done at this point by strictly by traditional kind of histopathology. But you don't look at the mouse and say, oh, you know, Bob, the mouse is looking a lot better. He doesn't look old anymore. Can you see well, it that way? That, you know, that's that's something we, we hope to do. But again, these these are still early. We're treating for you know short periods of time. But once we have these, you know, these indications that a drug is having a significant significant impact on a tissue, we could then start treating the animals from a young age and just watch them, you know, basically say these animals on drug A are clearly aging more slowly. They're moving better, their their coat looks better, you know, they they eat more, they they're more active. So that's you know, those are the kinds of longitudinal studies that will will come from these initial histopathology studies. Okay. So what's the timeline from here? How long do you think until you uh, you figured out what you want to figure out and then you're ready to uh, go for approval of a drug or two? So we have a, you know, about a two, two to three year timeline at this point. So we, again, we want to expand our, our screening. We want to test a lot of these in mice longitudinally, just so we were just talking about. And at that point, we will focus on specific indications. So, you know, is there an age-related disease that we think is going to be particularly amenable to treatment with drug A or drug B or drug C, we would set up those those models, you know, whether it's a liver disease or a brain disease or a skin disease, test them directly, and that would then lead us to the um, to the testing in humans. You know, set, setting up a clinical trial with an indication to say, you know, this is the condition we want to, we would like to treat and um, and prevent essentially uh, using these these compounds that we've developed. Okay, well, very good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.